We're continuing in our series uh, in the book of Psalms called Heart of Warriors and of Poets. Uh, This morning we'll be in Psalm 90. And as we dive in, I want to begin this way. If you wouldn't mind, just take a breath, take a deep breath, sit back, relax. Even at the beginning point, if you want, if it would be helpful, um, you can close your eyes. And I want you to think about um, the emotions that come up when I say some of the words that I say, um, maybe the feelings that arise. And I'm just going to mention a few words and just be attentive to what's happening on the inside. ISIS. Syria, refugees, terror attack, Russia, North Korea, Trump. Politics. Shift a little closer, maybe job, future, marriage, single, dating. Family. This morning, we're going to talk about how to face the future in times of confusion. Chances are, one or more of those words brought up some level of anxiety, of angst. The reality is we live in a world that is extremely chaotic, extremely confusing. You look around and not sure what you can do if there is anything to do, but sit by and helplessly watch as world events unfold around us and everyone reacts on social media. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you face the future in times of confusion? How do you face the future when you're confused relationally? Maybe you're single, and you're so longing and hoping not to be single, but you're still single and you're confused. Or maybe you're married I was just at a wedding I officiated yesterday, and the beautiful couple all dressed up, they said, I do. And maybe you're a little bit further down the road in your marriage, and you're you're not saying, I do anymore. You're saying, I'm not sure. Maybe I can't. Maybe you're confused when it comes to your career. 
You're just stepping out of college into your first real job. You're just stepping into a new career. Maybe you're in the midst of an ongoing career and it's the demands and the pressures are overwhelming and what's being asked of you seems unattainable. Or could it be that your dream job turned to be a nightmare? And for some, maybe you're confused and you stepped in this place this morning and you're confused spiritually. And you've been in environments like this before where the worship is going on and it just draws you in and it's as if God is so close and personal and present. And, and there's these moments where you go, I couldn't be closer to God. But now it's not one of them. And you're confused. It feels like God is silent, distant. Or you're distant. See, the problem with confusion is that it immobilizes us, doesn't it? It paralyzes, it demotivates, it neutralizes us from making progress or effectiveness. And we sit by in a world that is incredibly confusing. And throw our hands up, don't we? Wondering, there's nothing I can do. And so we do nothing. Well, if you ask a coach, a life coach, you go to a counselor, even if you've been into the business world and you get a, a consultant, they, they would say the cure for confusion is really twofold. If you're confused, if you feel stuck, if you don't know what to do, first, reduce complexity in your life. You guys know the KISS principle, business world uses this, keep it simple. You can't say that in church. Come on, guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> keep it simple, stupid. That life increasingly gets complex. There's more and more demands. We live in the Netflix world where you have so many options. And so you're confused. I mean, come on. That's why dating is so hard these days. Because it's not, you, just, you don't just have like this option of I live in this small town. You have the whole world's option. What if you choose the wrong one? <gasps> and some of you are like, I chose the wrong one. And she's, no, I'm just kidding. No. That would be mean. The cure for confusion, reduce complexity. Get clear on what is it only you can do. What is it that you need to stop doing? What are the things that you need to say no to that you've been saying yes to? And then increase clarity. You have to reduce the complex things around you and then increase clarity around the things that only you can do, that you must do. You have to get back to the basics. Any coach, when he takes over a brand new team, especially a struggling team, when they have major transitions, you know what they do? Simplify the playbook. To the core, to the basics, they go back to the fundamentals. In fact, one of the most famous basketball coaches of all time would start every season this way. This is a basketball. Coach John Wooden. Because he 
Because when you get back to the basics, it helps you move forward in the confusing seasons of life. This morning, God wants to speak to you. I think this message is, is so critical for this season of life, so important for the state of the world that we live in. To, how, to help you navigate how do you face the future with confidence when life is confusing. To do that, we're going to look at Psalm 90. It's the oldest psalm that we have. It's written by one of the greatest leaders that ever walked this planet. His name was Moses. Now, Moses has seen the full spectrum of life. He was born a Hebrew slave and then adopted into the Egyptian royalty and grew up as a prince, had the best training, had all access and education, but still connected to his family, tried to take his destiny into his own hands, kills an Egyptian and runs away and lives in the desert for 40 years thinking God had abandoned him and this is his lot in life. Called by God to come back and lead the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land, he goes back, leads the people out. And you know what the theme of the people were? They were called a stubborn and obstinate people. Some of you are leaders, and you know what it's like to have a stubborn and obstinate. You're like, oh, man, the people I'm leading. Well, Moses knew. Moses knew. This was a tough group to lead. And he's writing this psalm at the end of his life. Many scholars believe on Mount Ararat, overlooking into the promised land, a land that he would never get to go into, though he led the Israelites all the way there. He would never actually get to step foot into it because of a mistake he made. And he writes down the very basics of life, the very core things that you need and I need in times of confusions, of a life well lived, of a life that's seen the full spectrum of all that's going on, and how do we move forward in life? And how do we face the future with confidence? Getting back to the basics, Moses is going to give us six core truths. The first basic of life he's going to say is this God is great. First and fundamental truth. That you need to embrace when life is confusing. God is great. Notice what he says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Circle that word Lord. It's the Hebrew word Adonai. It means to be the creator and ruler of the universe. It is speaking to God's creative potential, not power of what he did to speak the universe into existence. This past week, I was up at Lake Tahoe performing and officiating a wedding, and I went on a run. And honestly, uh, this run took my breath away. It's the most beautiful run I've ever been on. As I'm running, I was in the city of South Lake Tahoe, and this guy told me this trail. And so I run through the city, and then I hit this trail, and I wasn't ready for what, uh, what was in front of me. I come, and there's this sweeping 
meadow before me. Flowers are in bloom. You know, had so much rain. And I'm looking up, and there's the mountain to this side, and the lake over here, and there's still snow capped on everything. And I'm running around, and I'm looking at this. And, in, and the psalmist says, and Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Lord, Adonai, creator, the one who spoke that. And it came into existence. The one who set the stars in its place. The planets in orbit. The one who, when you step to a beautiful landscape that takes your breath away, he just simply said, let it be, and it was done. See, God is great. And notice what he said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Did you know that the greatness of God was intended to be the dwelling place of man? Like the greatness of God. See, when life is confusing, the first thing to go is your perspective. You move your eyes off of who God is, what he can do, and his power, his his sovereignty. And you shift your gaze down. We all do it. To the problems before us, don't we? We shift them to the waves around us. We shift them not to how great God is, but how big our problems are. Getting back to the basics. The first fundamental is to reorient, to look up. God is great. Diagnostic question. Am I rightly related to God? I mean, does he hold the same place in my heart as he holds in the universe? Like he's the center of the universe. He holds all things together. Everything works and functions for his glory and his name's sake. And it's all about him and for him. Does he hold that place in my life? Is is my life oriented to him? Because when it is, The problems around me aren't near as great as the God before. First fundamental, a shift of perspective. Getting back to the basics of life. First affirmation, God is great. Second, then his life is short. Notice what he goes on to say. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up, by evening it is dry and withered. Life is short. Isn't that what you came to church to hear this morning? Thank you very much. Life is short. And some of you are like, no, no, no. I'm in my 20s. Life ain't short. Well, yes. Yes, it is. But we don't like that, do we? We know it, but we, culturally we push it away. We try everything in our culture to push any signs of aging away. That's why we put needles in our face to puff up and shape these things so I look like this. I look like a freak, but you're not going to see any wrinkles on me, right? That's what we do. We pump up things in different, well, maybe that's not just to cover up, that's to show off, but for plastic surgery's sake. But we don't like this. The reality is, and we know this, life's short. We aren't guaranteed the next breath. 
And here's why this is so important. If we fail to understand this, we will misalign our priorities in our life and how we live. See, the diagnostic question here is, am I prepared to die? Like, am I living for what matters most? Is what I'm living for worth dying for? If life really is short, if it just goes by like that, is what I'm a part of, does it have like the weight of eternity? My pastor in Chicago used to say this. I loved it. Life is short, but eternity is long. So let's live like it. Dr. Martin Luther King, on the night before they started their historic march in Birmingham, took a small group of the leaders in a church. And he went around to each one of them and let them know the weight of what they were doing, the significance of that moment. Because in that moment, if you remember, the civil rights movement was waning and almost snuffed out. It looked like it was going to be a failed cost, a failed mission. And so they went to the heart of the fight one last time. One last shot. And he went to each man and woman. And he read them their eulogy. And said, not all of you will come back. Just wonder. Just wonder what would change in the ordering of your life, in your day, if you began to reorient your life that God is great and all this is for him and because of him and that if really the greatness of God is intended to be the dwelling place of man, if that's like where I'm supposed to be and living for eternity and life is short, what would it look like? What would I get my hands dirty with? What would I consume my time with? Am I ready to die? Because you know, you've seen it in others. Disordered priorities lead to dysfunctional lives. First thing, life is, God is great. Life is short. He goes on to say this. Sin is serious. Verse 7. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities, literally um, our natural bent away from God and the things of God. Before you, our secret sins, the things that we thought we were hiding, that we thought only were a part of us, are in light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80. If we have strength, and yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly. You know, we look around at a really broken world, don't we? We look around at a really broken and divided country, don't we? And sometimes you just kind of throw your hands up and go, you know what, if we just get the right leader, then everything will be fixed. If we just get the right people in our government, we get this program. I got news for you. The church is God's 
solution for the brokenness on this planet. As we are the carriers of the gospel, the good news that only Jesus, there's only one leader that can save, and there's only one person that will transform Jesus. And by and large, the church has been increasingly ineffective, I believe, simply because we haven't taken sin seriously. See, what we've done so often is to say to God, God, you adjust to me what I like and what I want and where I'm comfortable and saying, no, 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 you're God and I'm going to adjust to you. And when that happens, when you go, no, 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 you're God, and we begin to be men and women of integrity, we begin to be men and women of purity, we begin to be men and women that say, you know what, when we blow it, we're going to own it, we're going to confess it, God, I long to live in right standing with you, I'm going to take it seriously, because sin breaks things, sin is devastating, sin always separates us from God and from others, and you want to see a movement. You want to see a country change. It doesn't begin out there. It begins in here with us going, okay, America, church, right here. We're going to say, no, 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 sin serious. God, you get to define what's right and wrong, not me. Here's the reason I don't think we take sin all that seriously. One is we misunderstand grace. And two, we play peekaboo with God. First, we misunderstand grace. And I, this is, I've done this, so this is, I've done this many times. We often, as Bonhoeffer talked about, uh, ascribe to what's called cheap grace. Because it's free. Grace is God's undeserved favor towards you. It's this free gift. You can't earn it, deserve it. You already have his love. You already have his forgiveness, right? And so we go, yeah, that's amazing. But we don't understand the cost of grace. See, did you know? That the most painful moment of the cross was not the nails. The most painful, agonizing moment for Jesus was in the moment where he said, My God, my God, why have you anyone? The perfect triune God in this moment was ripped. Where in that moment, a just and holy God poured out the wrath and consequences that was due me, and that was due you, unto Jesus. And the perfect, spotless lamb took all the pain and all the shame and all that we owed. See, we fail to understand, wow. See, grace is free, but it sure cost a lot. And now, by the way, this is so good. Because of Jesus, you are now covered. Did you realize this? That when God looks at you, he doesn't just see you. He sees Jesus, not just in you, but over you. Like you are covered by his son. So there's no place for shame. There's no place for guilt. There's no place for whipping yourself over. And I'm a nobody. I can't be this. Like when God sees you, when God looks at you, when he's looking at you right now, he's going, I see my son Jesus. I see you've been covered by him. You've been cleansed by him. You are fully made new. That 
That is grace. Another reason we don't take sin seriously is we play peekaboo with God. I don't know if you've ever done that with small kids before. When my kids are little, I do this, right? I'm not getting the same response from you guys. <laughs> Whatever. Now, here's why. Um, developmental psychologists say that kids don't have the ability to understand object permanence. Object permanence is though you can see a, an object, you realize that it's permanent, and the minute I take it behind my back, you don't believe that that object, that Bible, ceased to exist. You know it's still there. Kids, however, the minute they put it behind their back, they think it disappeared. And so when you do this, you disappeared. You cease to exist. And then, oh my gosh, you're back. Oh no. Oh my gosh, you're back. I think sometimes we play peekaboo with God. And when we think, he didn't see it, and I'm back. He didn't see it. I'm back. And the question here is, am I taking sin seriously? And for some, honestly, if you're confused in an area about your future, I've talked to so many people in this area where their life is not lived in alignment with God's will, but they want to know his will for the future. Where you go, okay, you know, no, I'm going to align my life with God's revealed will. And then, you know what, as you do that, he'll, he'll reveal to you, okay, man, this is the next step. This is the way. Walk in it. First, getting back to the basics. God is great. Second, life is short. Third, sin is serious. And so what we need in all this, because, yeah, that's a lot. Wisdom is essential. In fact, we're going to spend the fall talking about wisdom. This is what we need in our world today. We, we live in a world without wisdom, and we're going to, summer in Psalms, we're going to spend the, uh, the, the fall in the book of Proverbs. He goes on to say, Who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us. Don't, I love that, by the way. Moses is about 120-ish years age at this point, and he's saying, teach us. Moses, who had the greatest education of the day, is saying, teach us. Moses, who was the leader, is saying, teach us. There's this teachable heart. There's this desire, this God, would you teach us? God, would you teach us? God, would you teach us? To number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That word wisdom is the Hebrew word for skill. That's what living wisely is. It's just having the skill to navigate through life well. That's what wisdom is. It's having the skill to navigate through life well. In each circumstance, how do you respond? And part of that is actually numbering your days, understanding where you're at in your stage of life, realizing back to life is short. So if you're 20 years old, you know how many days you have left? 21,900 days. There you go. That's how many days you have left if you live to be 80. If you're 30, 
you have 18,250 days. If you're 40, you have 14,600 days. If you're 50, you have 10,450 days. If you're 60, you have 7,800 days. And if you're 70, you have 3,650 days. And if you're 80, you're living on borrowed time. Um. (laughs) Now, I want to say something. First to those, you know, in our church, we really have 50s, 60s, maybe some 70s. That would be fantastic. But if you're in your 50s and 60s, I, living wisely, I, I want to say something to you. you. You know that the Bible doesn't talk about retirement? And we're living in our culture for retirement. And I'm, I'm not saying <clears throat> that retiring from your job or any of those things isn't bad. But you never retire from your faith. You never retire from your purpose on your planet. You never retire from making an impact. And I just want to say, if you're in that stage of life, we need you. This generation needs you. We created a church designed to reaching this generation, but we need all generations. We need the sages. And I know that the 20-somethings, the millennials, haven't always expressed that the best way to you, but they want it. You know how many conversations I have from them about wanting a mentor, about really wanting someone who can invest now, I, in their lives? Now, I get it. I get it. You think because they have Google, they're okay. Google does not make you wise. In fact, for some, it makes them kind of dumb. But we need you. And if you're not dead, God's not done with you yet, would you get in the game? And for those in your 20s, if I can, I've gotten to be a pastor of 20-year-olds for a long time. And I love you. This church loves you. We want to continually reach the missing generation in the church, and that's often the 20-year-olds. I want to just say two things to you, and just take it, would you? I mean, just with a grain of salt. But first is you're not that busy. I get it. There is so much coming at you, more than previous generations. And so it feels busy. It feels like it's nonstop, but you're not that busy. And the second, just please, you're not that important. Now, hear me out. You're important. You are precious. You're made in the image of God. You are delighted in. God loves you deeply. You have intrinsic value. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying. You're not the center of the universe. Life doesn't revolve around you. I know social media says it does. But here's my great fear for this generation, is that you would look back a decade later and realize that some of the greatest time you had to make kingdom impact, some of the greatest seasons where you had the most amount of time, the most amount of energy to leverage your life for the sake of eternity, and you waste it. Man, we need you. This is the most mission-driven generation on the face of the planet. Well, hello, let's start living out the mission. And stop talking about it. And get in the game. We need you. We need you. If you're in your 30s, 40s, in the family stage of life, 
This is really, I think, specific Silicon Valley and the previous service is way more than this service. But would you invest in your kids? See, the diagnostic question here is, am I spending or investing my life? Sit with that, by the way. Am I spending? Am I just going through it? Or am I investing? Am I investing for the future? Am I investing in relationships? Am I investing my life into kingdom things? And I see so many families caught up in the rat race of Silicon Valley, so many people caught up in upward mobility, and they want to give their kids all of these experiences. And I got to tell you what kids need. They need a mom and a dad that are present, that cares, that walks with them, that may not be able to give them all the greatest stuff, but is with them. See, it's not the school's job to teach your kid. It's parents' job. It's not the church's job to disciple your kid. It's your job. Where you say, okay, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest in my kids. At this wedding, uh, the groom's dad passed away 12 years ago. And right at the front where you signed in, he had this incredibly moving plaque where he wrote about his dad and his desire. He wished his dad was able to be there on his wedding day, wished his dad was there to be able to meet his wife. And then his mom walked down the aisle with a single white rose just for his dad. See, you're not going to remember that like, amazing deal that you're able to, you know, figure out. Or how big you grew that company. When you number your days aright, you begin to live with a different set of priority and a fresh purpose. As you think with the end in mind, and you're looking back and you're going, you know what, I'm going to invest in the people that matter most. And I'm going to invest in what has the weight of eternity. So God is great. Life is short. Sin is serious. So we need wisdom. And wisdom is available. And thank goodness, I'm so thankful that Moses shifts here. Mercy is available. Mercy is available. Because in all this, we need to know, God... Are you still with me? God, even if I've screwed up, can I start fresh? Mercy is available. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Circle that word, unfailing love. Felicia touched on it last week in Psalm 51. It's the Hebrew word hesed. Sometimes in your translation it might say loyal love because it speaks of God's covenantal love towards you, that it's unchanging. It doesn't vary. Whether you have a good day or a bad day, think about that. Like God's love for you the intensity of his affection towards you, which is infinite, never varies. Even though you vary on your days, don't you? 
I know I do. Whether you're going, this is a good season, I feel close to God or I feel far from God, God says, you have all of me all the time. You are loved and beloved. That Christ satisfies God. You know, I just need you. I just need you in this moment. Mercy's available. Would you call upon him? Would you just cry out, God, I'm here. I need you in this moment. I long to reorient my life back to you. Mercy is available. His loving, faithful kindness, grace towards you. Reminds us that not only God is great, but he also is your heavenly father. It is this fatherly or parental love. It says, man, you're my kid. You're my kid. I'm not down on you. I'm so for you. Like, so for you. I'm behind you. See, mercy is available, and you just cry, and you just call out. You just go, God, help. God help. He's like a loving, perfect heavenly father. And maybe you don't know what that picture is like. Maybe you had an angry dad or maybe you had an absent dad. I don't know. Maybe he was abusive. I don't know. But, but you have a perfect heavenly father who gives you his loyal, loving kindness, unvaried, intense towards you. And you just go, God, I'm here. And he meets you. He will meet you. And finally, success is possible. God is great. Life is short. Sin is serious. Wisdom is essential. Mercy available. And I love, Moses closes right here. Establish the work of our hands, O God. Establish the work of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of of our hands. That word establish can have two meanings. In the Hebrew, one is prepare or make ready. And for some, that's where you're at this morning. Like, God, I've, I've been running with you, and as, as Moses has been teaching us through this psalm, God, would you establish the work of my hands? Would you prepare my hands? Would you make ready for me? I want to lean into you in ways that I haven't. I want to live out my life on purpose. God, would you make my hands ready for that? I'm ready to be in the game. I'm ready to trust you at a whole new level. I'm ready to figure out what it means to live out my faith at my workplace or at my school. I'm ready to, like, God, would you establish my hands with my marriage or this relationship? Would you ready my hands, even in this stage of, of waiting and longing? God, would you ready me? And the other is not just to make ready. It also means to fix or put right. And for some, as we went through these, it kind of felt like this wave holding you down. It's like getting back to the basics. Okay, okay, I got that, but... But God, I, I'm so far from there. That feels so way far away. God, would you fix me? Would you put right? Would you establish the work of my hands? Help. I need you. I want to close with a story I've told, so some of you may know it. 
It just fits this moment. A few years ago, I was at a, another wedding. This one happened to be in Carmel. Man, I get to go to some cool places for weddings. And uh, one morning, my wife and I are there, and I'm going to work and study at a coffee shop, and she's going to go out and do some garage selling and things like that. And so we show up to the coffee shop that we, you know, yelped and found, and I got a cup of coffee, but I looked around, and I'm like, I can't spend all day working here. This, I, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a coffee snob, environment snob. I'm like, this, this just doesn't fit me. I can't sit here all day. I, I'm, oh, I can't do it. So we said, okay, let's go find another place. So we go to another place. We check it out, and it was kind of grandma-ish. And I, no offense, but that's just not my style. Uh, and so then we go to another place, and now I'm feeling like Goldilocks at this point. You know, and it wasn't just quite right either. And then the fourth place that we went to, it was just right. Uh, went in, and I mean, it's packed. It was amazing. I'm like, oh, this is a place I can hang out, but there's no seats anywhere except for this big communal table that was there. You know, it had like eight chairs around it. And so I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I have a place to work out. I say bye to Jenny. I set out my stuff and I lay it out. And I quickly realize that I'm that guy now at the table that everybody hates. They're like, this guy just took the biggest table, just him. He's got his stuff laid out. And I don't like being that guy. I don't want to be that guy. So I'm like listening as people come in. If they are looking for a seat, I want to invite them to my table because I own it now. I put out my stuff. (laughs) And so I hear this couple, or at least what I thought was a couple, come behind me, and they're talking about how packed it is and if they had want to go to another coffee shop. And I said to them, hey, you know what? You can sit at my table um, right here. And they kind of look at each other, talk, and say, okay. And he goes to get coffee, and she sits down. She knows my Bible. And she's like, oh, are you a Christian? I'm like, yeah, I am. Are you? And she said, well, it, yeah, it's complicated. Oh, okay. And then right at that point, the guy comes back, and they sit down to talk, and I quickly realize they're, they're not a couple. Um, this guy is her financial advisor, and apparently he had been doing a very poor job at it, and this was his firing. Um, <laughs> headphones on. And so I put my headphones on, and I'm trying to not over eavesdrop as much as I really want to eavesdrop. Um, and they have their conversations about a half hour, and he leaves. And as he left, I had gotten up to get a refill of coffee, and I just felt the Spirit of God saying, you need to talk to her. And maybe some of you feel this way. This is the only reason I share this, because it's like the human reality. I was like, I don't want to talk to her. <laughs> I'm studying. I'm preparing a message for Sunday for you, God, um, I need to focus on that. And he's like, no, you, you, need, you need to talk to her. I'm like, okay. So I sit down, and I go, how's it going? Knowing it's not going great. She goes, um, okay, it's been kind of rough lately. And uh, she quickly changes the conversation. She says, Bible, huh? what, what are you doing? And I told her, I said, well, you know, I'm actually a pastor, and I'm preparing you know, sermon for Sunday, and uh, I threw this part in here, and I'm not even sure why it came to my mind. I pastored this church over in San Jose, but I grew up in Santa Cruz, and the minute I said Santa Cruz, her eyes lit up. She's like, oh my goodness, Um, when you were in Santa Cruz, did you ever go to Chip Ingram's church? (laughs) 
I said, well, matter of fact, I'm his son. <gasps> oh, my goodness. This, I, 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 she thought I was like royalty at this moment, you know. I can't believe she's saying this out loud in this group. I can't believe I'm sitting at Chip Ingram's son's table. And I'm like, yes, we already established this. I own the table. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then the floodgates come. And she shared how she was just going through this incredibly messy, painful divorce. Her husband, who was hooked on porn, destroyed their marriage. And all through the course of that time, felt like life was hopeless. At one point even said she had thought about killing herself. And she had this radio station at the house that they sold that she wished she didn't sell. The only one that came in, Christian radio station at 7 a.m., a guy named Chip Ingram came on every single day, and she gave her life to Christ. He was able to lead her through the hardest seasons of her life. And as she shared her story, this refrain, this word, these words kept repeating in my mind. I just felt like God was putting it on my heart to share with her. And I just said, you know, I just feel like God's wanting me to say this to you. All is not lost. There's still hope. Because God is with you. God is for you. All is not lost, even though it looks like you've lost it all. And there's still hope, even though you feel hopeless. Why? Because God is with you and he's for you, even in this season when life is so confusing and painful and chaotic. And then I couldn't help myself. I said, and do you know what lengths God went to tell you that? And she looks at me a little funny. God sent me to four coffee shops. <laughs> and he packed out this coffee shop so that there would be one communal table. Established a wedding in Carmel so that Chip's son, the guy who God used in your faith, God sent his kid to come encourage you in your darkest hour. See, you have a great God who greatly loves you, who has gone to great lengths to establish the work of your hands. I just want to invite you as we close this morning, if you wouldn't mind just putting your hands just in front of you, and for some, your response is, God, establish the work of my hands Prepare. And I don't want to run past this because I think for some, it's like, oh, this is a moment, but I'm not quite going there. I'm on the edge. And would you run all the way to Jesus? Would you run all the way to him? For some, it's the first time that you've given yourself fully to him. We'd say, God, would you be the king in my life? For others, you're in the place of that lady in the coffee shop. You feel like you've lost it all. feels hopeless. And you say, God, would you restore my hands? Would you fix me? Would you heal me? I, I don't even really have the strength to 
to do anything but cry out to you. And so in my cry, would you meet me there and God will meet you there. You have a great God. Establish the work of your hands.